Greetings, my fellow lords and ladies, and welcome to the Consul Kingdom. Today's episode is going to be a little different. My name is Jared, and my partner here is Dan. Dan, how you doing today? Uh, doing great, Jared. Before we get rolling here, I wanted to take a moment to just thank all of our listeners who have been uh, with the show so far. Please continue listening, downloading, reviewing the show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and uh, give us a little shout out. Let us know you're out there. Absolutely. We love you and we absolutely thank you for everything that you've done. All the likes, comments, it means every little bit to us. So I wanted to get in today to start talking about something here. We here at the Consul Kingdom normally, about 90 to 95% of the time, take things very lightly. Nothing too serious, you know, just kind of laid back and, oh, I'd say funny and kind of off the wall at times. That's kind of the goal of what we're actually trying to do. Now, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than what we would normally do. Look, right now, there is a ton of stuff going on in the world, okay? And and far be it from us to get political. I don't want to get a deep dive into any of that. But there's one important thing that I think that we need to cover on this show, and it's very important that we should. And that is mental health and video games. Now, Dan, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, when you play an RPG, okay, so when you play like an RPG or you play like any type of video game, right, how does it make you feel? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, this is definitely a deep topic. It's going to be a little bit more of a grave and a serious topic, I think, this time around. But when playing a game, it's it's, it's interesting you mention RPGs. I think we'll be able to get a little bit more kind of into how the different types of games affect our mood. But for me, I mean, it depends, right? It depends on a number of factors. You know, like, why am I playing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's hard to answer that question because there might be different feelings depending on the reasoning why. So I can tell you for me, I mean, just for entertainment, you know, I'll play games just for entertainment or for relaxation. Sometimes I'm looking for a challenge. Sometimes I'm looking for an escape. You know, I think the feeling is going to depend a lot on why I'm choosing to play the game. Uh, would you say, Jared, kind of similar, or do you have a different experience when you're playing games as far as how they make you feel? So, yes, uh, the reason I play, it's kind of a little different than yours, but I agree with you uh, on that, and it's dependent upon the reason. But a lot of times I've been in kind of a darker time dealing with some depression and anxiety, and when I put on a game... You know, like, I just shut out thy world, and I escape into a whole new universe. There, yeah, there's problems, but the biggest issue is bad guy doing bad things. You're a good guy. Do good things. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, video games can definitely be an escape. I can tell you, I use them that way a lot myself. I know when, when I'm having a hard time, yeah, same thing. I'll, I'll definitely play more, and that can be that can be a problem sometimes and i think we can get a little more into that as we kind of discuss the topic because there are problematic gaming habits that people can have uh, and, and those do relate to our mental health not just the way that our mental health affects
gaming habits, but also the way our gaming habits in turn affect our mental health. So there are definitely things can, that can be discussed there. Uh, and I think I want to kind of get deeper into that as we go. But uh, I can say for me, definitely escape is a huge thing. Sometimes, look, sometimes we just play games to procrastinate, right? I mean, sometimes we just like there's stuff we have to do. We don't want to do it. So we play a game instead, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. I can totally agree with that. So I wanted to kind of start this whole topic off with kind of a story a little bit. Um, and I'm going to take kind of steal the floor here for a moment. And I want to kind of tell you a little bit about my past. So growing up, I was an adopted child. Um, and at that point, being adopted wasn't a negative connotation. And actually, I have no idea why it is even now a negative connotation of that. But I was also a bigger kid as opposed to some of the other students in my grade. So I was AKA the fat mm -hmm. kid. And so throughout elementary school and middle school and high school, I was teased relentlessly, like to the point that I would cry myself to sleep. And I'm being open and raw here because I feel like it fits what we're trying to discuss. So I, I would cry myself to sleep. I, I, had so much that really just constantly attacked me. I had a great family. I had a great life for the most part, but just school and friendships and things were just either hard to come by or it was absolutely miserable. Uh, and it's to the point where I never wanted to go to school. Now my escape and the reason why video games mean so much to me today as they did when I was growing up was because then I could go downstairs, be in my parents' basement when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, have the lights off, flip on the old NES, and be taken away to a place where you become the hero. You become that character where you control what this character does so like for example if you were playing Mega Man you know you you know I would feel like I became Mega Man I was saving the world from Dr. Wily I was the hero instead of the hated I was the good guy instead of the always kicked when I was down and that was why I escaped to video games, and that is why, to this day, the actual video games, I swear, is better for my mental health than most anything else. And I wanted to take a moment and explain kind of my story so you guys can get a little backstory and understand kind of where I'm coming from when I thought of this topic, because it's so important to me that we get some messages across that it's okay to talk about mental health. It is okay to discuss with your friends, you know, or someone that's close to you that you're having problems. You know, um, <clears throat> there's so much more to my story that I don't really feel like it fits in this conversation, but just know that there is help out there if you just only seek it. 
and I wanted to kind of talk with Dan and Dan, I want to know from your perspective, growing up, what was it that pulled you into gaming? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you were just saying, Jared, we got real, real deep and real personal, real fast on this one. And a lot of what you were saying there, I can really relate to because I had similar experiences growing up. Um, I definitely was a very sensitive kid and I got picked on a lot. Uh, and I think kids can kind of tell, you know, I think they can tell who the sensitive kids are. And that's kind of who the kids that want to pick on somebody. That's who they go after. They go after that sensitive kid. So that's definitely an, it's definitely a factor. And yeah, you know, you play the video games because it's something that's safe. You know, you, you can safely have this experience. You can have fun. You're away from the people that want to be nasty and mean to you. And uh, safety is, is the big thing. You know, it's a safe place. Also, for me, something I didn't realize, and part of the reason why I had so much trouble relating to my peers when I was a kid, is because for the first 38 years of my life, I had undiagnosed ADHD. Okay. Now, I had no idea that I had this condition, right? So not until I was an adult and I seeked out, you know, tried to understand some of the reasons why I did some of the things that I did. And I found out, well, the reason is because I have a, a, a neurological, you know, disorder. Uh, and one of the many symptoms of ADHD is you have a very difficult time socializing and relating to your peers. You don't understand when you're talking too much. You don't understand when you're being annoying and you can't help yourself or stop yourself from doing those things. It's compulsive. It's... So for me, not only was this kind of an escape, but also this was a source of stimulation. And that's something that can be pretty dangerous uh, when it comes to video games for people who have conditions like ADHD or even, uh, even ASD. Uh, it can become a, a bad habit. For somebody with ADHD like me, I have to be very careful because it's very easy for me to overindulge in gaming. It's a constant source of stimulation, and my brain is constantly seeking sources of And I, I'm very glad that you brought that up because from my point of view as well, I was diagnosed in 11th uh, grade, I want to say, with ADHD. And they suspected that I had it early on in school, but I was so borderline that they couldn't tell for sure back then. And then things, <clears throat> tests developed and things changed and they were pretty easily able to diagnose me uh, with ADHD by that time. And really, I also understand where you're coming from with with playing a lot of games because I am also ADHD and very impulsive. So it can very well turn into an addiction. And that is something I know we were going to talk about here. Um, for myself, it could turn into an addiction. And at points, it has. I, and I've been able to combat that and turn it into a force for positive instead of a force for negative. But it it definitely is a struggle. Yeah, I've had times when I had to take I had to take a step back. You know, World of Warcraft became a problem for me. Uh, it did become a big problem for me, like it had for many people. A lot of people, especially with MMORPGs, especially people who have conditions like ADHD, or even in, in a lot of cases like depression or anxiety, who are seeking that self-medication of that escape. 
uh, they can become too addicted to the game. And that is a thing. A video game addiction is a very real thing. And, um, you know, when this, when this first became like a, a breaking news story, right, that the World Health Organization was recognizing video game addiction as a legitimate mental health disorder, the reaction from gamers was very, very negative, and it probably still is. And I think the reasoning for that is because when we hear that as gamers, like we feel like we're being attacked. Like we feel like they're talking about us, but they're not talking about us. When you talk about gaming addiction, you're not talking about a person who just plays too many video games. Like that could be problematic. Yes. But what I'm thinking is, is while it could be problematic, what it could do is it also, what I think they're referring to in this instance, is being to the point where you do nothing but game like 24 hours a day and you lose sleep over it you don't eat it could be very problematic indeed there are definitely individuals who were so addicted to video games that they would uh not sleep for for days at a time uh there were numerous cases, numerous cases of parents who were so addicted to video games that they like left their children unattended, very young, small children unattended for very long periods of time. In 2010, uh, Kim Jai Bom and Kim Jong Young, they left their three month old daughter home to go play an MMORPG at an internet cafe. And the, and the child had already been starved for a long period of time, died of mal malnutrition because the parents were too busy playing this MMORPG to take care of their child. And the really ironic thing about this particular MMORPG they were playing is that it was an MMORPG in which you raised a child. And took care of a child. How sad. Uh, and that's and that's far and that's far from the only case. There were there were several cases of babies drown several cases of babies drowning in bathtubs while their parents. Yeah, were and I think there's even I mean, oh, go ahead. Like, if you, you can Google that, you can Google Google that, and and you'll find like five different cases. It it's it's ridiculous, because these are people who have an addiction. It's not just a I play video games too much. It's an I play video games so much that I neglect the life of my child. That's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And so. Like, like you and me, Jared, like if, if we're feeling kind of down or feeling depressed, so maybe we spend three, four hours playing a game, or maybe we stay up too late. Maybe we put the kids to bed and then stay up till one or two in the morning playing video games. That's not the best thing in the world. You don't get as much sleep maybe as you should have, and maybe you have some responsibilities that you kind of push off until later, but nobody dies. If people are dying because of your gaming, yeah, then you're addicted. If you lose your job because you're because you're addicted to video games like that's addiction so when they talk about video game addiction they're not talking about you know just someone who plays three or four hours a day they're talking about somebody who plays 24 hours a day 22 hours a day yeah 18 hours exactly a day. That's and they ignore about. their they ignore their responsibilities and stuff like that and i know i remember a, a rather famous case i'm sure that you've read about this one uh as well as most of our listeners might have heard about this is the gamer who died like legit died playing video games because he was in his his seat for so long and had so much caffeine like 
to keep him going that his heart stopped. Are you talking about the guy who was like, who had been in his chair for so long that like he literally began to grow into the chair? Like his, like the skin on his legs was so raw and rubbed raw from sitting in the chair for so long and it was actually healing into the fabric of the chair. Like they had to like surgically remove the chair from him. Yeah. That's, that's, that's gaming addiction. And gaming addiction becomes a problem for people who have mental health issues who are using video games to self-medicate. Uh, and now I don't want to, you know, try and kind of be a downer on, on, you know, video games as a whole for people who do have mental health issues because they actually can be helpful. You know, while preparing for this episode, I decided to do just a little bit of digging, nothing too deep. I just wanted to see if I could find, you know, some real clinical trials and lit reviews that show any kind of positive effect. I was specifically looking for positive effects here of video games on individuals who were dealing with mental health problems. And I found some really, uh, really interesting stuff and some positives out of all of this. Now, a lot of this has to do with kind of the severity of the problem, but also the kind of games you're playing. I can see that. I can see that. So, yeah, one thing that was really common, and what we'll do is when we when I publish the episode, I'll make sure to put links to all the studies that I looked at in the description so anybody who's curious can look at them themselves and decide, you know, what, what they think of them. But um, there was one study that was uh, that was published in, what's the, what's the journal here? I don't remember exactly what the journal was. You'll have to forgive me. I just have kind of notes I scribbled down because, again, ADHD. Uh, oh, the Journal of Medical Internet Research. So there actually is a journal called the Journal of Medical Internet Research. And this study was published that showed that individuals who suffered from anxiety or depression, if they played some casual games, their symptoms could be reduced, but it had to be very casual gaming. And then that would reduce the symptoms. So 30 minutes a day. Uh, in fact, there's actually another study that specifically found, and this was in the Games for Health journals. So that's a journal probably dedicated to the idea of, you know, utilizing video games for positive things. In the Games for Health journal, a 2019 study found that in patients with treatment-resistant depression symptoms, so these are people who had depression and were taking medication and were finding that they still had symptoms, playing Plants vs. Zombies for about 30 minutes a day, was more effective in managing symptoms than adding a second antidepressant. That is really, really a, a cool fact right there because I did not know that. Um, through some of the research I did, I did not find that stat, and that's actually kind of surprising to me. Yeah, that was one of the cooler ones that shows that some video gaming can be positive, but there also can be negatives to people who are suffering from some conditions who maybe are overindulging a little bit in video games. And it was found in a few of these studies as well that individuals, especially young kids, this was focused on. There was a study focused on more younger kids, um, adolescents and children who had ADHD or even autism spectrum disorder. They were more likely to become dependent on video games. And that's kind of where the, the possibility of addiction might come in, because if you are suffering from ADHD and you're using video games as this so as a source of stimulation, the self-medication, it can become very dangerous. And I think that's like anything that people use to self-medicate. People use a lot of things to self-medicate. People use crack cocaine to, to self-medicate. People use marijuana to self-medicate. People use alcohol to self-medicate. 
And anything that you use to self-medicate can be harmful and you can become dependent on it. Exactly. And, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I wanted to discuss on this episode, you have a son and I have two kids. I have a son and a daughter. And one of the big important things that we've heard from doctors um, going to the pediatrician and things like that, teachers, public schools, all this kind of stuff, limit screen time. And what they mean by screen yeah. time is that there's so many different stimuli throughout the, the gaming industry from like a Nintendo Switch, which is a handheld, to an actual console that you can play on on a TV. You've got mobile gaming. You've got, you know, um, what was I going to say? Mobile gaming. And you've got so <laughs> many different iPads, different technology that screen time can really really affect a development and not just development but it can also affect intra intra or is it inter in inter yeah it's interpersonal relationships where you you're ignoring yeah, people around you because you are using that stimuli to relax or you know it's so easy to just grab your phone and, and hop on youtube and say okay i'm gonna throw up this video here and lay down and just kind of kick it you know or relax or oh let me grab the switch i want to play this game or you know my son he's really big into farming simulator and he loves playing farming simulator for whatever reason um it's not my style of game but hey if he loves it i'm all for it you know but within yeah reason and i think that's so important to discuss and and talk about because dan i know that you as a parent limit your son's time on the nintendo switch and whatever other electronic devices that he has access to um and i just kind of wanted to get your take on what you think as parents we can do okay to help kids get away from screen time yeah that's that's actually a really important point because for my son especially uh he has you know my genes he looks almost exactly like me and uh he he's got my adhd as well uh and we learned that you know pretty quickly because when he was very young he was already showing signs of inattentiveness and even when he was in like preschool so we're talking preschool, you know, he was already having a really hard time, like moving from one task to another. And that's a very common thing with people who have ADHD. If you, if we're doing something and we're invested in the task that we're doing and you try to get us to do something else, it is very difficult for us to, to mentally detach ourselves from the task that we're working on. Now imagine that for a toddler who was just learning how to do these things for the first time and uh, the frustration he would have because he had difficulty sometimes learning how to do new things because he would, instead of being now too focused on something, he would be completely incapable of focusing on that one thing. And that's probably the biggest paradox of ADHD is that we, we can be very, very focused on a task, but we have no control over what task we become very focused on. And everything else we become not focused on at all. So he was having a lot of trouble with that. And uh, one thing that we found, you know, that we had to do for him is we had to make sure that we give him a variety of different things to do. Otherwise, he would be more than thrilled to just look at a tablet or look at a screen or Nintendo Switch 
for, I mean, all day, all day. And uh, with the Nintendo Switch in particular, because that was his first, like, that's the first electronic device that, that like, that's his. Like, we got that for him for his birthday. We use it, but it's his. But uh, we had to very strictly limit his time on that because he always would ask for more time. And then, you know, we were kind of in the habit of giving him more time. And then one day he uh, he got really upset, like, really threw a tantrum over having the Nintendo Switch taken away. And that's very out of character for him. Like, my son's a very laid-back, relaxed kid. He doesn't really throw tantrums. But this one day, he really threw a tantrum over it. And I kind of said at that point, I'm like, all right, there's we can't keep on giving him more time with this thing because it's becoming a problem now, you know, and he's too young to have a problem with gaming, right? So, so we have, a, so we, we, we imposed a very strict limit on him, 90 minutes of, of, of screen time, and that's it. Because any more than that, it's, that's when it starts getting harder yeah. and harder to get him to put it down. Now, kids are resilient, though, and what, what surprised me is that he actually took to that pretty quickly. Like, once I told him, that that was limitation and we would not be giving him any more time and that once that alarm goes off telling him time is up that means time is up and he did very well with that so i think that's one of the things that we can do as parents when we have kids especially kids with adhd or even kids who are just getting in the habit of using these devices too much you know if i was going to recommend anything to a parent who's having that same kind of problem i would say you have to set those limitations make sure they understand the limitation but we also have to give them something else to do. And Jared, do you know what, what the best thing is to get my son to put down an electronic device? If he's anything like my son, it could be building Legos. That's also a really good one, but my attention. Really? The, the best thing, the best thing I can give him to get him to put down an electronic device is my attention and playtime with me. So if I say, hey, do you want to put that down and play a game with me? He'll put it down right away, most of the time. That is awesome. Uh, and when I, when I realized that, that was a big eye-opener. That, yeah, that was a big eye-opener for me. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, the kids are bored. And they'd, they'd rather, you know, they'd rather play with you, you know? So, I mean, that's just, that was just my experience, though. You know, and but I think it's true. I think one way we can get our kids to not spend so much time in front of screens is to give them more of our time. And I agree with that. And you know, and it's kind of interesting, which goes back to some of the statistics that you know you you'll read about um, if you do a Google search. You, you just as parents, as adults, we have throughout the 90s and the 2000s as technology became more and more ingrained into our society it, we have become busier and busier and busier and things like the family vacation have gone away there's things like family picnics and things that i remember when i was a kid that my folks and i and my sister went and did as a family and it's just it's not there anymore because people are so busy oh well i've got soccer at this time or i've got this going on and i think that's a huge huge thing that we all need to look inside and say hey how can we change this i mean obviously activities and structure are important that's another thing that you know i try to do uh you know, as a parent is try and get my son involved in activities and give him a lot of structure so that he has at least some routine. 
And that's hard for me because I have ADHD. It's hard for me to stick to routines. But I also know like another paradox of ADHD, and I'm not trying to make this entire thing a discussion about ADHD. It's just my own kind of experience. But um, we, we thrive in chaos. We can do very, very well with very little structure. We don't like structure, but we also need structure. Because if we don't have some rigidity to our, our life, some schedule, some routine, it's incredibly easy to fall into bad habits. For example, playing too many video games. So it's a good thing to, not just for the kids, but for the adults also who have the same condition, to give yourself something to do. And now, I don't know, Jared, would you say like for, for depression, would you say that it's helpful to have a lot of activities to do or a lot of hobbies to do? Things that get you out of the house, uh, things that keep you occupied? <laughs> It's hard. Uh, with depression, it's very hard to get out of the house. Uh, you don't want to get out of the house. You don't yeah. want to see people and you don't want to do any activities. However, I have found that, you know, um, video games are just, so, you know, they're a good escape to get, you know, uh, past your depression and stuff. A lot of times you want to just kind of sleep like mm. you, you could sleep for hours upon hours upon hours if, if you let yourself so having a structure and giving yourself activities is one of the main ways to combat doing those bad habits and always just being in bed which is honestly one of the hardest things to overcome and i can i'll be the first person to tell you that i fail more often than i succeed but I still work hard at trying to not do that as much. So as far as like depression and anxiety goes, yeah, it, it, you've got to have some kind of structure. You've got to have something to be motivated to do because if you don't, you fall so deeply into those bad habits. And, you know, I read a book years ago, so I might not be remembering all the details very well, but have you read the book Prozac Nation? You know, I've heard of it, but I have never read it. It's an excellent book. Excellent book. It's written by a woman named Elizabeth Wurzel. And um, in the book, she talks about her own experience with depression. And one thing that she said was great for her is that she was going through a depressive episode and her, her boyfriend at the time uh, basically didn't allow her to wallow. He made it impossible. He just kept on coming up with things to do and places to go to keep her constantly moving and constantly engaged so that she didn't have time to sit there and mope and be depressed. So even if like, even if she was feeling depressed, like he would still be like, no, we have to go. Come on, let's go. We have to go out. And for her, at least, you know, that worked really well. And it kind of got her out of that funk, obviously not going to work for everybody, but I think to at least some degree, you know, it's good for all of us kind of, kind of keep, keep ourselves moving, keep things going, you know, make time to exercise. Obviously that's one of the hardest things to do. Uh, especially for, you know, people who have any kind of like mental health condition, really, because self-care is so easy to neglect. And again, coming back to my own personal experience, ADHD people, we tend to neglect our own self-care. It's something that's not, especially when that self-care is not fun or, or enjoyable or engaging. You have to have something that you like that you can do you know, to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I like just thinking in my head here for a minute, Dan, I got a question for you. Okay. okay. What do you think is the best type of video game to escape to? 
You know, you mentioned RPGs before, and I've always been a huge fan of RPGs. So that's probably what I would say, uh, especially RPGs when I was growing up, when we were growing up. They were always really kind of um, what, what they used to call a light RPG, like the Final Fantasies and stuff like that. They were never super difficult. It was always kind of a relaxed experience. So I find, you know, that sort of grand adventure... It's a long game. You can do a lot of things. That's always been something that I felt was probably the best kind of method of escape as far as video games go. But I did want to mention kind of to piggyback on that point, Jared, that there was another study that I had read that said that if um, if you are having issues with depression or anxiety and you play too many violent games, that it can worsen those symptoms. So that was something kind of interesting. But more to the point here, boys with autism spectrum disorder who preferred RPGs were more likely to have problematic gaming habits. And I think we can almost kind of say anecdotally, we probably all kind of know that to be true because I think we've all had, you know, a friend or, or, you know, somebody that we know who had autism spectrum disorder, who was very, very into a particular RPG or a particular MMORPG. I've known a lot of people like that, as a matter of fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, RuneScape comes to mind. The classic RuneScape. The uh, World of Warcraft, obviously. StarCraft. Um, Final Fantasy, a bit, but more to the point of a lot of PC gaming. I knew a lot of people that were more yeah, PC well, you know, gamers. Yes, and the more you get into that of game whether it's an mmorpg especially those are especially um gripping right or even a game that has a lot of those similar systems like quests and rewards crafting uh, but but more specifically the questing and the rewards because those games trap you inside of a skinner box you ever heard of a skinner box shared i have not it's named after the the psych the psychologist i could be getting some details wrong but it's named after the psychiatrist who kind of came up with the concept of of, of a of it and um, when you use it in this context it usually refers to a game where you receive a task you complete the task and you receive a, a reward but you also receive another task with a promise of another reward so it keeps you doing tasks because it's task reward task reward task reward and it's an endless you know chain of tasks and rewards but more importantly a task a reward and another task if it's just a task and reward, it's not going to engage you that much. If it's a task or reward and another task, now that's how it kind of gets you caught in that cycle. And that's why people get so into those sorts of games. Uh, that's why people can get addicted to that sort of game or just develop problematic habits with that sort of game. Uh, MMORPGs, uh, MMORPGs in particular, are, are really particularly... Uh, I'm, I'm ugh, being tedious with my language here. MMORPGs are excessive in that regard because they give you so much to okay. do that I lost my yeah, train of thought. Yeah, they do. They give you so much to do and so many mandatory things and tasks that you have to do like on a regular basis that it becomes a habit and then you have a group that you have to run with and then when that group needs you, you're expected to be there. Almost like having a second job. And it becomes, for a lot of people, like a second job. That's kind of why I stopped playing MMORPGs. Um, in World of Warcraft, I had that happen. And, like, I'll never forget this. It was my birthday. 
And my wife, you know, girlfriend at the time, my wife, she asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, I just kind of want to stay home and raid. And she looked at me like, dude, like, this is this right. is what you told me not to let happen. Uh, and then, you know, then after that, I got into, like, a few years later after that, I got into Final Fantasy XIV, um, A Realm Reborn, which is, by the way, an incredible game. Um, if you haven't played it, and, and, and maybe you shouldn't, if we're <laughs> based on the discussion we're having here today. But in that game, I started running with a group that was raiding, I think, like, every Tuesday and Thursday or something like that. And I, I, I had to stop playing because I didn't want to be committed to having to play this game for four to six hours every right. Tuesday and I Thursday. Can, it was going I to can be too see much. that. Yeah, for sure. Like, and with me, I would say to to kind of rewind a little bit my it was kind of funny it was my thing uh that i was a mario guy like i was definitely into mario mario 2 mario 3 mm-hmm. super mario world that kind of stuff that was my escape um funny story when we're talking about video game addiction um i remember when i was a kid I played Mega Man 2 for the first time, and I would dream about it when I went to bed, and I would get up at like 5, 5 in the morning, and go oh, downstairs yeah. to the basement, try to sneak past my parents' room so they didn't wake up, go down in the basement and play Mega Man 2 at like 5 in the morning before school, because I just needed to beat this boss, or I needed to beat this level, or I needed to get this item, or... It, it was it was one of those things where it was like you looking back on it now I chuckle and think to myself man I can't believe I did that but it, it it's like one of those things at the time it yeah. was normal for me well I can tell you for sure when you talk about like games that are stimulating I think Mario is kind of built up to be that right it's very colorful there's a lot of movement catchy music you know, it's built up to be a very stimulating experience, uh, and that's kind of the whole idea, you know, and that's why we kind of enjoy them, is because they give all of our senses something to indulge in. Well, I guess you're not smelling or tasting anything, but but all your other senses are very, very engaged when you play a game like that. And I can totally relate to the whole, like, you know, dreaming. Like, I definitely had had video game dreams when I was a kid, for sure. Like, I remember I remember that. Um, sometimes dreaming of dreaming that you were in a game, you ever have that happen, where you had a dream, but you were like, in a scenario from a game in the dream. Yes, yes, I have. Yep. Like I, I very, I very vividly remember being a teenager and having a dream that I found the sword in 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 the the sword of mana or whatever for from Secret of Mana, and I had to go run back to the village oh, with it. Oh man! <laughs> but yeah, but also you know being a kid with undiagnosed ADHD and a Nintendo addict as a kid, I shouldn't say addict, right? Because we're we're trying to make sure we understand what addiction is. But as a Nintendo freak as a kid, I guess, uh, I absolutely had those days where I sat in school and all I could think about was that video game that I've been playing. And that was all I could think about all day long. Math, spelling, English, history, science. No, I could only think about that game. And I was a pretty good student as a kid, but I think I was only a good student because I had a really good knack for like hearing something once and then understanding it up to a point. And then, you know, when it came to the point where things got more difficult in school, you know, it became a problem for me. So around like junior high school, that's when I started having a, a little more academic problems because of the preoccupations with the ADHD. Yeah, yep. That sounds about exactly the same as myself. Yeah. I kind of hit that wall of 
I can no longer just skirt by on understanding things well the first time I hear them because I'm no longer understanding them well the first time I hear them. These things are much harder to do that with now. So that's kind of where things for me got difficult, you know, academically. Um, you know, I ended up going to college and doing well and everything like that eventually, <laughs> but it took a lot of doing. And I mean, my whole, that's my whole life story. It's a story for another time. It took me a very long time to kind of get through all of that. Uh, and eventually led me to... Dan, had a question Eventually for led you. me to get a diagnosis. Go ahead. ADHD. It eventually... Go ahead. Yeah, what's your question? Yeah. Yeah, I have a question for you. Why is algebra a bad thing for relationships? Oh, I'm so glad you're lightening the mood here. Uh, why is algebra a bad thing for relationships? Because you're always trying to find your ex? Absolutely. You are always trying to find your ex. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. That's not that's not dad joke enough for our, for our humor here on the show. But well, uh, but, but considering, yeah, considering how true. heavy the subject matter is today, I, I, that, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Oh, Jared, yeah. you know what I really wanted to talk about? Uh, what I really wanted to talk about here, because this is a topic that really gets my goat. Can we can we can we talk for a minute about how video games do not cause violent behavior? Please, can we talk about that? Oh, absolutely, yes, absolutely. It drives that... me up a wall that people keep on pushing this narrative, and it's been debunked. Like there are papers and papers and papers that have debunked this. You know, I'm going to. You really want to know what grinds my gears? The whole Peter Griffin thing, man. Oh, I tell you, this thing drives me nuts. It started in the mid-90s with Doom. I remember mm -hmm. Doom being a huge, huge thing that people were like, oh, it causes violent behavior. And, you know, and it, it continued on with, like, say, the Grand Theft Auto series and different games along those lines. And, yeah, okay, so they were kind of violent and, and things like that, but... I didn't go around grabbing my dad's hunting rifles and just going shooting everything I saw. And, but, you know, that wasn't me. That It just wasn't those. You didn't think of that. And that's the important thing. That wasn't you. Uh, when, when I looked into this topic a little more, what they did find, and this was mostly in younger children um, and, and, and less, less so uh, as children got older, but children who played a violent game or watched a violent show would then have some more violent um, play afterwards. So like they might play a violent video game or watch a violent show, and then afterward they would be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more violent in the way that they played. Um, that seems like a pretty consistent thing that a lot of studies found, but it wasn't like permanent. Now, what they did find in a lot of these studies as well, though, is that for uh, young people who already had behavioral problems, that the violent games or the violent movies would amplify the behavior problems so really it's a kind of a question of well does exposure to this violent media cause the violent behavior no it can't make a person who is not violent become violent but it can make a person who is already violent become stimulated by the idea and be more and likely to you know out. and there, there's a lot to say about predisposition as well you know, there is there are there are definitely yes. signs of predisposition towards that type of behavior that parents or people can see. And then that's where you have to be a bit concerned with what games they're playing and how they view things in the world. But in general, those type of behaviors are 
more inherent in their actions because they're there, not because they played something like Doom. Exactly. If you look at the uh, the individuals who have who have been, you know, linked to video games, causing you know them to do whatever they did. I don't want to name like specific things because I don't want to like, I don't know. I don't want to get too depressing here. But uh, if we look at some of the cases in the past of people doing bad things that you know the media or whatever decided, oh, it's because they played this video game. Those people were already having problems long before they were ever exposed to those video games. And I think it's pretty safe to say in most cases, these are individuals who would have done something bad. Absolutely. Whether or not they had this. You know, I just thought that was kind of the, the, some reason, you know, that Congress grabbed onto in the, in the nineties to say, well, that's what it is. We're going to point the blame at something that is, you know, we're not going to do any research. We're not going to do any looking things up that's not our job we're just the people that lead the other people and we're gonna say that it's video games it's just it's Mm -hmm. it's just something it's just something convenient to blame because if you're in a position where people are expecting you to do something about a problem but you actually have absolutely no idea what to do about the problem it's easy to just point at something and be like oh yeah it's this this is the problem and i have a solution for that right rather than actually figuring out a solution yep it's just, it's a distraction. It's a distraction. You know, and I mean, look, like Grand Theft Auto is one of the most popular video game series in the world. Most people who owned a PlayStation 2 or, or a Dreamcast or whatever console probably have played it at least a little bit. And most of us did not go around oh, and- running hookers over in stolen cars. Yeah. Because it's not realistic. That's not what people do. People don't see something violent and then imitate it. Small children might, which is why it's absolutely detrimental to the development of young children to watch or watch or consume any kind of violent content. Uh, you know, but that's a whole other issue. It's very different when you're looking at an adolescent, a teenager, or an adult, and and having the expectation that that content will affect them in the same way as somebody who is still developing the brain. It's going to be a very very different scenario. So yeah, if you've got you know a, a young small child and and man, we got we gotta watch our kids these days with with this YouTube man. We gotta watch our kids with YouTube. I, I, I there's too much stuff on YouTube that should not be accessible to kids, but is. Uh, another thing that we don't that another thing that we strictly very strictly monitor and limit is is YouTube because there's just too much stuff on there that shouldn't be, and. Uh, when you're talking about kids who are five, six, seven years old or younger, like toddlers, you know, they could see things that they shouldn't be seeing. And I think it's become all too common and all too normal to allow them to consume uh, this media, you know, unsupervised, which is not a good idea. <laughs> well, you know, that that brings up a good story that I have. My daughter is eight and she was aware of a game called Poppy's Playhouse because at school the biggest popular thing was yes. Huggy Wuggy and Kissy Missy and 
And those characters were from Poppy's. The kids all know about it. They they do, and and it was like they would play this on the playground at school, and it made me kind of chuckle as a parent because, first of all, that was me. Like when I was growing up, we would run around mm-hmm. playing Mega Man, Contra. We would play uh, Final Fantasy. We'd pretend to, you know, fight monsters and things like that. But like with this newer generation there's certain characters and games that you have to be extremely aware of and be very careful because it seems like these horror games keep coming out on a very continual basis and these popular youtubers that that you know might have oh i'm gonna play my little pony or I'm going to play Minecraft or something like that. We'll draw the kids in and then they say, subscribe and check out my other videos. And next thing you know, they're playing Five Nights at Freddy's, which is definitely more adult content-ish with the jump scares and things like that. And the kids can just easily click a button and boom, there you go. So, yeah, there's a very big difference. Very big difference between like a 12 or 13 year old being exposed to that. And like a six or seven year old, or like three or four. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so yeah. I mean, violent video games are not going to cause a non-violent person to become violent. But if you are somebody who struggles with depression or anxiety, and you spend too much time playing them, they may worsen your symptoms of, of depression or anxiety, according to some studies that I saw. And for people who already have violent behavior, watching or playing or consuming violent media can exacerbate or worsen that violent behavior and of course more importantly violent content of any kind is very detrimental to the development of young children so i mean but is it it specifically video games no it's violent content of any kind so to point the finger at video games and say oh it's because it's because these darn kids they're playing the doom and they're playing the mortal combats and the night traps and that's why they're and that's why they're doing the bad things is ridiculous what now, if you had a kid who from age two was was exposed to, uh, you know, slasher films because their parents didn't care what they saw and happen to be horror fans. And I have come across people like this in my life who do this. Um, yeah, that kid, that kid, that kid's going to be going to be a problem because they were not taught how to understand the difference between fantasy and reality when they're still developing the the, the understanding of those concepts. Uh, in fact, there's an anecdote. I don't know what happened to these kids, but here's an anecdote that, uh, that, that this, I'm still angry about this. This was years ago. My wife and I were dating. My son was not born yet. We went out to the movies. We went to go see the remake of The Last House on the Left. Did you see that, Jared? I did not. Okay. This is a very, very violent movie. A very violent graphic movie. And I want to be really careful what I say here because, you know, we want this show to be, you know, we want this show to be friendly to to a large large audience. And I don't want to say anything that people are going to, like, find disturbing or visualize. I don't want to put that anybody. I don't want to trigger anybody's, like, anxiety or PTSD. So I want to be very careful. But I just want to point out that in the very beginning of the kind of movie this is, uh, is a movie where a young woman has something very bad done to her. So she does very bad things to the people that did the bad thing to her. Okay. Now, all of this is incredibly graphic, and it was hard for me to watch. Uh, 
you know, as a 30, 30 year old man at the time, it was hard for me to watch. Now, there was a couple sitting a few rows back with two very young girls with them. I don't know how young these girls were. I don't remember exactly. It was a long time ago, but they were young. Like, like they were definitely like, like single digit okay. age. And, 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 and I was like, like the girls, I thought the girls were leaving and the parents like called them back to come sit back down. So I don't know what on earth was happening there. But yeah, like children shouldn't be seeing that, whether it's in a video game or a movie or what, because that's that's, for one thing is traumatizing. Probably had nightmares for the rest of their lives. Probably having nightmares right now. But um, also because when kids are developing their brains and, you know, learning how the world works, if they're exposed to very violent things that can cause a lot of developmental problems, lack of empathy or desensitization to violence. So if you want to talk about kids who are more likely to engage in violent behavior, kids who are exposed to violent images at a very young age when they're still developing and that becomes normal for them, probably right. a lot more likely because they don't understand right. that it's bad. I was going to say, <clears throat> I was going to say, back in my bit, day, we played with hoops and sticks. <laughs> You know, and, 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 but realistically speaking, you know, I, I mean, this ain't the, this ain't your mom and dad's 1950s, 1960s, 1970s anymore. I mean, it's not. The world has definitely changed. And, you know, there's so much that you have to be careful of. Really, really, really very careful of. Uh, speaking to your point about the violent behaviors and the uh, violent images that we see. Nowadays, you can switch on network television. You're seeing somebody get shot. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's another thing that's kind of... Uh, well, network, does anyone watch network television anymore? But yeah, that's another thing that's kind of strange is that in a lot of ways, and I think we're kind of going off topic at this point, but in a lot of ways, I think that our perception of violence like as a culture has changed because we have like just enough censorship in a lot of ways that like you can depict, right? Like you can depict someone getting shot, right? And you see the person pointing the gun, you hear the shot, you see the person fall. There's no blood, there's no wound, but you know what happened. And that's generally considered like okay as far as censors are concerned, which I find so bizarre. And like that's something a kid can yeah. come across. Yeah, but to you know that's that but that and and that's been that way though that's been the way for a long time that's been that way for for a very long time so kind of getting off topic with that but it's just it's a little bizarre to me you know just that's still violent like even like fighting or like someone getting beat up like that's still violent right right and to the point i mean i was gonna say you know in general video games do not cause violence it's just it's not like that as adults, you know, we have to be careful, especially if, we ha- if we're parents and of young kids is what our kids see. That is so important. But to the bigger point, to say that video games cause violence is about 100% wrong. They can enhance violent if they uh, violence, but not cause it. And it's far from the only thing video games have been accused of. I mean, video games have been accused of causing ADHD. You know, we kind of talked about our experiences with that earlier. 
you know, so there are people that are like, oh, these kids are they're exposed to these devices from the time that they're little, and you know, and then and then it causes them to have ADHD again. That's not possible. You can't make somebody have ADHD by making them watch a screen. It's a neurological disorder. It's something you're born with. You know, uh, oh, all these people walk around with depression and, and anxiety is because they're, they're, they're playing Mortal Kombat. Like, no. Anxiety and depression are chemical imbalances in the brain. They're caused by a medical issue. They're not caused by playing, playing Doom. Although, if you are, although, again, if you already have anxiety or depression and you spend all weekend playing, uh, you know, Call of Duty, yeah, you're probably going to not feel so great after that. According to these studies, again, I want to qualify everything I'm saying here, according to the studies that I looked up on, on online and on, in various journals, you know, these are the findings that they had. I'm not trying to pretend by any means that I'm an expert on any of these things. This is just what I found in these studies that I read. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to bring up as we kind of close out our conversation on this is if you need help, it's if you need help, um, you can text 741741. Um, you text the word home um, from anywhere in the uh, U.S. It is a crisis text line. It is free. It is 24-7 crisis counseling available to anyone if you have a cell phone. And I think that's so important to remember that we all go through stuff. Every single one of us does. And it's not always easy. And not all of us do we have someone to reach out and talk to. And that's why I'd encourage anyone listening that if you're struggling and you're going through a hard time and you just you don't have anyone to talk to, text that number, 741-741, text home, and meet with someone. Talk with someone. You know, it will make you feel better about stuff. It'll help you feel better about stuff. And you'll get through these low lows and keep moving on, you know. And, no uh, asking for help. Dan, I know you, yeah, absolutely. Dan, I know you, uh, you've been, uh, you, uh, had some research done. Did you, uh, come across any helplines or anything that may help our listeners? Something I came across again, a little bit more personal to me in my experience with ADHD is that there actually may be a way to use video games as a treatment for the symptoms of ADHD. Um, and there is, a, there actually is, and this is not an ad or anything. This is just something that I found out about that I thought was really interesting. There's a mobile game called Endeavor RX, and it's an FDA-approved treatment for ADHD. Uh, they did a study called the Star HD, the Star ADHD Pivotal Study, and they found that uh, 68% of parents and 73% of children reported an improvement in their attention. Um, and this, what's particularly interesting about this game is that it can only be accessed with a prescription. A doctor has to prescribe this to you, to, to your child. So a little silver lining on the video game discussion with the ADHD, uh, you know, and the possible, the way that gaming affects ADHD and the way that ADHD affects gaming is that there are ways to make that positive and make that helpful. So, yeah, and again, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen today. I know this is not our usual type of conversation, um, 
<clears throat> I, but it is so very important, and I'm just so thankful for each and every one of you uh, being a part of my life or listening and taking the time to kind of get to know us as people. I'm very, very thankful for that. This is the Consul Kingdom podcast. Dan, you got anything that you wanted to talk about on your YouTube channel or anything going on with you lately? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, Risky Fitness is my YouTube channel. If you want to check it out, that's at youtube.com slash riskyfitness81. Risky Fitness, B-I-T-N-E-S-S. It's kind of a play on Risky Business. Uh, I have a lot of stuff that I've been working on over there. I just recently put up a video about the game Rumble Roses for PS2, which is a really interesting game because it is a wrestling game, but it is also a, uh, like, like a pseudo erotic game. Uh, it's, it's, it's out there. And, uh, yeah, so you can check that out. I recently did my top 25 picks for what I feel are the best NES games. If anyone's a big NES fan, they could check it out and, uh, feel free of course to engage with me as well on social media. Risky Bitness is, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. I think, I think I have an Instagram, but I don't really use it but yeah if you enjoy my uh my presentation here then check that out for more of me <laughs> and you can check us out on facebook.com slash the console kingdom uh twitter.com slash tc at tck podcast zero one you can find us on youtube at the console kingdom and as always i am your host jared and I am Dan. And y'all have a very fantastic week. Love you guys so much. Game on. Game on.